Good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, or good morning, right? So welcome to Security Squawk Podcast. My name is Brian Horning. Today I have with me my co-host, Reginald Andre from Mark Solvers, and Randy Bryan from Tech Rescue. How are you, gentlemen? Doing well. Good morning. Good. Doing great. Great to be here. All right. So uh, this is the podcast where we talk about the business of cybersecurity. It's not a tech podcast, although we do jump into a little bit of tech. We try to break it down to a level that everybody can understand. We all have a goal of educating people about cybersecurity, and that's what we do on this podcast. So uh, there's only one fee for this podcast, and you got to pay the fee, right? If you learn something, if you're educated in any way, please share our show. It's how we grow this organically. Um, we don't ever intend to run ads on this or anything like that. Um, so please share the show and, and help us out. So gentlemen, how are you today? Um, how's it going, Randy? Man, going pretty good. A little overcast today, which always makes my allergies pop up a little bit. Apparently everything in the air is bad um, today, like cedar, stuff like that. But anyway, down here, uh, deep in the heart of Texas, everything's going great. Good. How you doing, Andre? I'm doing well. 82 Good. degrees, sunny outside, and um, can't wait to see you guys, or well, see Randy in uh, Austin tomorrow. Totally jelly. Totally mm -hmm. jelly. Not that you're going to Austin, that you have such nice weather where you live. Ah, got it. <laughs> uh, all right. So today on the show, we're going to talk about some interesting stuff that we're seeing around social engineering for cybersecurity. Um, so I, this social the cyber attackers are getting I'm not going to call it desperate, but um, it's not as easy for them to, to hit cyber attacks and, and successfully launch cyber attacks. And, and, you know, I know it's crazy for me to say that because it seems like they're happening all the time, which they are. Um, but the ways that they're going about getting into people's systems is evolving and it's evolving every day. And we're going to, we're going to bring, we're going to highlight that and talk about, uh, the different ways that we're seeing, um, cyber criminals use things like social engineering to trick people into installing malware onto their networks. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about is some interesting new data out of the cyber insurance world and the insurance industry, as we know, um, Cyber insurers are are kind of stepping up their uh, their game in terms of how they're offering their products, how they're selling the insurance, and quite frankly, you know, dictating to our industry how we should be doing things. So I think we need to educate people on what's going on in the cyber insurance world because I think for a long time businesses have relied on cyber insurance as that kind of fail safe that if everything else uh, goes wrong, especially with a cyber attack, that this this, this uh, cyber insurance is going to help me out and step in. And uh, we're going to talk about if that is actually the case. Um, and then the last one is, is that um, Revel's now gone again. Um, the prolific ransomware group that has hacked uh, many businesses, made many, many millions of dollars, Russian-based Revel uh, ransomware group is offline yet again. So we're going to talk about why they're offline, how they went offline, why they went offline, and kind of what's next for this group um, and other ransomware groups. Uh, so that's what we got lined up for today. Uh, and let's just jump right into it. 
Um, I'm going to share my screen out here in a second. And the first one we're going to talk about, fellas, is this F, uh, the Fin 7, right? That, which is a, basically a, a, a name uh, by cybersecurity researchers that we give kind of these different groups, especially when they're state-sponsored. We, they kind of name these groups uh, various names to kind of identify them. So as they're doing research and comparing notes and seeing who's working with who, you, you kind of outline like who these groups are and, and they kind of give them these, these different names based on these, they do stand for something. It's basically how they like to operate and how they like to attack. Um, and they give these, these groups, these names. So um, Randy, what's going on here? Like what, what, what it's saying fin seven lures unwitting security pros to carry out ransomware attacks. Now, can security pros r really be tricked into carrying out ransomware attacks like this? What's um, yes. So basically they have set up a fake um, security company called Bastion Secure, um, which is a pen testing, which is penetration testing, which is basically where you hire an outside firm to test your defenses. Um, like you can do it for your website. You can do it for your company network, for your employees, basically test how um, the defenses are working and if you're prepared. And basically, so they set up this firm called Bastion Secure, and then they've been hiring pen testing professionals to come work for them, thinking they're going to work for a legit company, um, and then using uh, those people to then um, basically pen test companies, but at the same time to get into those companies um, and basically uh, do their thing. These guys are really good at getting in networks and staying in there, staying in there a long time undetected. Um, so this is uh, quite genius. Um, uh, also, it's uh, a little bit disturbing. It uh, just shows the importance of really vetting the vendors that you use for the things that you do. Yeah, I agree. Andre, what do you got to say about this? Yeah, so it's, it is really genius because you basically are hiring someone who more than likely is, a, is what is called an ethical hacker. And you're now saying, hey, you're being hired. We contracted with this company and we want you to find all the vulnerabilities um, that this server has, this network has or whatever. And then let us know if you're able to get in, how you were able to get in. And then from there, we'll take it from there. And we'll we'll let the we'll let our client know. So they're basically using these guys to do that. And it's actually, um, I believe the article said it was they're paying these people anywhere from eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars a month U.S., which is pretty uh, inexpensive if you compared uh, the hacker to hiring uh, someone else where they're going to have to pay a percentage of the ransomware. So they're they're actually getting a deal by doing it this way. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I guess one of the things is it's like it's, it is disturbing that an, like an IT company would, um, you know, be tricked in this manner. But it's a serious thing, right? And so let's just straight up, like, wh like what are some things that you guys would recommend that these companies? These, let's just talk to the IT companies first, right? That's who I want to address. And then we'll talk about other businesses. So Randy kind of alluded to it a little bit when he, when he talked about it. But what are some things that IT companies should be doing 
in order to not get tricked in this manner. Like, you know, I, I know Randy came right out and said it is like vet who you're working with. So how can we vet who we're working with? I need a tool, right? <clears throat> I was told by, you know, Randy, if you came to me and said, hey, what are you using for pen tests? And I was like, hey, this company over here was great. And I had no idea they installed malware on my system. <laughs> they were just really good to work with. And now by word of mouth, I've given you their trust. Um, so what are some things that we can do as IT providers to make sure that we don't fall into this? And, you know, obviously, like one thing I would say right off the bat, kind of where my head's going is don't go Googling for a tool that you need in an IT services businesses and then go download that tool, right? That seems kind of obvious, but I think it needs to be said because I think that's, you know, sometimes common isn't always common, right? Um, so we need to kind of point that out. So what are some thoughts that you have around this in terms of, you know, what companies can do to make sure that this doesn't happen to them? Yikes. So, um, you can look and, and see how long a, a pen testing or security company has been around. Um, you can look at their reputation in the MSP community. Um, and I, you know, this, this sounds kind of sad or whatever, or it's not, I don't know. Bottom line is I think you also got to trust your gut. And if you get a real uneasy feeling like I've been on, dozens and dozens of calls with CEOs and or C CIOs, CTOs of some of these companies that are relatively new, like in the last few years. And honestly, a few times I've just gotten a bad feeling about it all. And, you know, I, you know, you can't go by your feelings all the time. You feel great about something doesn't mean that it's good, but you know, You've got to be safe, man, and you got to have your uh, your ears up, and you've got to be watching for 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 issues. Um, at the end of the day, look for somebody that's established that has a well well established uh, reputation. I, I that's what I would say off the top of my head. Andre, no, likewise. If you, if you if any tool that you're going to be using, you have to ask your your colleagues in the field what are you using. Uh, you know, if you belong to any type of Facebook groups, Reddit groups, or anything like that, definitely put that. But like Brian, like you said, don't just Google um, whatever tool or whatever problem that you have and just assume that whatever shows up on the website is, is true. I've seen that many times with um, applications, even as simple as Microsoft Office, where someone can put, you know, download Microsoft Office thinking it's going to take them to that website. Um, and then for, and then it's a different, it looks like the office and it has a, you know, click here to download, but it's really, it's, it's really malware. Or if you're looking for a CRM software, a lot of times you'll find some type of, some companies say the top 10 best CRM softwares and they list the, the different ones. And then in there are stuff that are not, that are not, um, that are not good. And those are, and those are good points. And I think we have you know, covered the obvious attacks, right? But when you go and you read a story like this and they go as far as saying that they're setting up a legitimate company, right? That they're setting up legitimate companies here for carrying out this type of an attack. What can somebody do if, you know, they look <clears throat> like you, I, Rainy mentioned 
um, certifications, right? Or you, 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 some kind of credential, right? Is that what you said, Randy? So you mentioned credentials or certifications. So what are some certifications that companies should be looking for if they're going to um, do something like this? But I'm just thinking uh, around the, the large spectrum. Let's go outside of the IT world, right? Um, IT people should definitely be not working with companies that are kind of, you know, fly by night. Nobody's ever heard of them. You don't know the business owner. They haven't been in the industry. I mean, a lot of the companies that we work with now, the guys that are running those companies have been in this industry for a very long time. We know who they are. We know, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, at least the ones I'm thinking of, they, they've been around a while. I know them. I'm, you know, a lot of times I have them in my cell phone. I have their cell phone numbers. Um, and we just know the community and we know who's involved. And if a company from the outside tried to come in and sell me on their service, I would, number one, just be highly skeptical because I don't know them. I've never heard of them. Is that kind of like a methodology that we could apply to all businesses, in your opinion? Like if you've never heard of this company before and they kind of come out of nowhere and they're all of a sudden on your radar selling you or your business or your industry some sort of service. I mean, what it like I'm just taking this a step further and going like it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that these guys start buying booths at conferences mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and start like really looking like a legitimate IT company. But at the wow. end of the day, there's some underlying nefarious thing that they're up to. Um, and, and I think that that's why we need to talk about this and why we need to bring this to awareness to people. And if you think we're talking crazy here, um, you know, Threat Post was thought it was important enough to write an article on it. And I think it's something that people need to have an awareness around. We're probably a year or two ahead of like seeing this in full force. But this is the kind of stuff that we're seeing being talked about, like in places like the dark web, where these guys are plotting and planning to set up companies like this that look legitimate as hell. And if you don't think they'll go as far as getting boosts at conferences, you're sorely mistaken because they will. I've, I've thought of three points. You, you asked originally, is this going to also apply to anybody we do business with? And one of the like main features or, or, you know, ideas behind zero trust is that you assume that the bad actors are already in your stuff. So, I think when you're dealing with a potential business partner, a potential vendor, somebody that's called your company looking for help, somebody that's called asking for a quote on something, like you need to treat it like you know, be respectful and, you know, give them information, but also in the back of your mind, treat it like this is potentially a bad actor and you don't want to give them information, you know, like they're like, hey, today's my birthday. Then you just blurt out you know what your birthday is. And now they know that. I know that's a pretty small example, but that's the whole idea. One of the whole ideas behind zero trust, you, you act like those people are already in your stuff. And so you need to set up what you do uh, accordingly. Um, a couple other things I thought about is when you're vetting a company, you need to find out what their security practices are, keeping in mind that the SolarWinds hack um, was, was literally like this much code was the original back door and a programmer could have got up to go outside to smoke a cigarette and they were already in 
their system and boom, you know, put that code in there and that there needs to be a code review. And I don't want to get off into the weeds here, but a company needs to have practices in place to prevent that. Um, you know, if they're just like you're on a call with a thousand other people and they're making a million changes on the fly, man, that that scares the crap out of me when I see that. And I have seen that with some popular vendors in our uh, industry. And then the final point it made me think of was the laws related to this need to be criminal um, and not civil. What I mean by that, um, just fining them five million dollars for setting up a fake security company if they get caught, you know, right. and getting to go to a white collar jail, you know, where they have gym memberships and this and that. Like, we can't treat it like that because this this is what you said. This is what and what you said made me think of this. This is nefarious. This is this is really bad if you're going to pretend to be a security company, but you're actually trying to get people's um, information and, you know, and basically hack them. So I think the laws need to have more teeth. Yeah. I That's mean, and, and the reality of it is, is we're getting attacked from all different angles in terms like business just in general, not just not just this industry or anything like that. And like what you just mentioned there, Randy, with like vetting the code, right, or, or vetting the company and how they produce the software is a great idea. Um, but here's the problem. Here's kind of like the the major challenge that businesses need to have awareness and people need to have awareness around the state of, of our world and our cybersecurity and our IT industry. Over the weekend, it was disclosed that there were, there's some uh, code base, some library where you can go out and download download a JS library and this JS library, you can integrate it into your web applications. And what that does is it allows a, um, allows the person running that website to capture the browser version and all kinds of information about the browser and the visitor. Um, and this is freely open code that you can download and incorporate into your web application. Um, and there's a lot of, I have a lot of feelings about this because number one, the code in the library was exploited. And now anybody who's downloaded this code, and I think the last like three or four months and implemented it on their sites, now their server is basically infected with malware. The other interesting point is, is that there's 7 million of, the, of these downloaded weekly. So there's 7 million developer Developers are downloading this code base 7 million times a week. Um, and I happened to go on Twitter and kind of blast the community when I saw this and kind of said, you know, it's not that hard. I, I, I'm a programmer. I used to, back in the day, I did web development for the United States Navy. I built a lot of really cool web programs for them. I know how to program in the web in my sleep to write code base to determine information from a browser is not that difficult to do to the tune to where we have 7 million developers a week downloading this because they're too lazy to write their own code for this. And I understand the argument that we don't have infinite time, but you need to have infinite time to make sure that your code base is secure. So if you're downloading it from a third party site or somebody else is writing your code, you better be vetting that code before you put it in your own application. 
And that's what I'm talking about on Twitter when people blasted me for suggesting that I was asking developers to step up their game a little bit because that's ridiculous that you're downloading code base on the internet and then using it in production um, and without doing any proper vetting in between. But that's the world we live in. And that's this is happening across the board with major products, with major websites around the world that you would probably believe are secure and I'm telling you, that's what they're doing. They're doing exactly what I just laid out for you. They have developers who are not being checked. There's no process for checking what they're doing if their code base is secure. And here you go, where you probably have probably close to 50 to 100 million web servers that are infected right now because of this code base. Mm. What do you guys think about that? I mean, it's disturbing. Um... Yeah, you heard about it, right? You knew. Yeah, I did. I read about it this weekend, and and it made me start thinking about. So, like in in Linux, there's I don't know the exact number, hundreds of thousands of similar type code base libraries that right. you can bring in. Right. Um, and you know, I guess gone are the days that you can just write something and just put it up there and just have everybody use it. We're going to have to have more vetting on all of this stuff. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm, I've been a big proponent of that for a long time. I think places like GitHub are a problem if they're not being managed correctly. Right. So, <clears throat> you know, it, it's just a, a huge, huge problem for me that this is how we're doing things. I have no issue with libraries. I have no issue with people streamlining their work, but if you're going to download a code base and use it in your application from an external source, especially if it's internet accessible and people are collaborating on that from all over the place, you need to have a process in place for checking that and making sure. And you at least have to be doing a code review to make sure that you understand what every line of code in that application that you just downloaded is doing, right? Because you're going to see these calls these weird things that shouldn't be there when you're just looking for browser information. You know what I'm saying, Randy? Mm -hmm. So Andre, got anything to add to this? No, I don't do programming too much. I definitely understand what you guys saying, but no, nothing to well, add. Let's look at this from uh, from outside of that perspective though, right? Sure. Before we move on. Cause you haven't said much here and I want to hear your, your, your thoughts around this from a purely business standpoint. Like we might have just scared the crap out of a lot of people by talking the way we're talking. What what can a business do? Right. We're talking about what IT companies can do, but what can a business actually do to protect themselves here? Well, let me ask you a question. Is this mostly where it's an outside US? Like, should we only be hiring code developers that are in the US because the chances of them being corrupt is a little less or it, it doesn't matter? I don't think it matters. Wow. I don't think it matters. Money talks. Uh -huh. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, and it's not to say that there aren't some cyber cyber criminals operating within the borders of the U.S., right? They right. just haven't gotten caught. Right. You know, the only difference between a cyber criminal sitting within the borders of the U.S. and outside of the U.S. is you're probably going to get caught if you're inside the borders of the U.S. Like mm -hmm. you might not get caught today, but you will get caught eventually. Um, not the case if you're outside of the U S um, and that's why we see so many 
significant attacks coming from outside the U.S. because we have no jurisdiction to do anything um, like we do if you're inside the, the borders of the U.S. So I don't I don't think I don't think that has much of anything to do with it. But I do think um, I think, do think businesses need to have an awareness of like don't download stuff off the Internet that's free. Or, or or don't go to websites and download plugins and tools like like I think the biggest thing that I think of when it comes to a regular business is like the people who want to download that plugin for Excel or PowerPoint or Word because they think it's going to help them do something bigger, better or faster. Right. And then you have to allow a certain level of permissions for these plugins to run a lot of times. And those are the kinds of permissions that hackers love. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm thinking about the more common things that I see people do within their computer systems and their networks. And that is a big thing that comes to mind for me is like, um, you know, even if it's paid or free, if it's an, if it's an outlook plugin, if it's a, PowerPoint plugin, an Excel plugin, or a plugin for any application that you might use in your business, um, you really need to make sure that that's a reputable company that you're buying and purchasing from, that you know of them. Um, and if you don't, you need to start asking the kind of questions we, we were talking about today. If you don't know that company, if, it, if it's not something that's recognizable to you, you really got to question whether or not you should be downloading that or not. And that's a big deal because people don't do that at all, in my opinion. So and yeah, it, that's kind of like the world we're, we're moving towards is like people need to be more vigilant about what they download, what they install. Mm -hmm. on their computer. And I think that's too important when even when you come up to the apps, like, you know, how you have the Google Play Store and how there's right. a big issue with that. Yep. Um and I don't know about iPhones if they have that issue, but I know definitely with the Android department, that's that's a big, big thing going on now. Right. And that's a lot of the argument that I hear Apple users make a lot of times is like we're willing to pay because they feel like they're more secure. I've heard people say that to me more like why would you know apples are just more expensive? Well, they're, yeah, they're more expensive because they're. I don't know if I feel this way. I, I can empathize with the thought process, but I've had Apple users tell me that they, they pay, you know, more for iPhones and Apple products because they believe that they get a level of security uh, over maybe what, what you get with Android and they're willing yeah. to pay more for that. Do you guys That's agree with that? It's a myth. So I agree. It's, a, it, it's not if you're comparing iPhones to like some... ZTE, sorry to, you know, drag ZTE, but they've got a bad reputation. My son had one that I think we think it came infected from the factory. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not trying to drag them. But if it's some kind of uh, Android phone that's made one time, never puts out an update. OK, yeah, iPhones are more secure than that. But when you put iPhone up against a Samsung, a Samsung phone that's getting regular updates or my my new security uh favorite the pixel which gives updates for five years um mm -hmm. you know you're you're not talking it's a guarantee i i would say as a water level this is what i tell people the water levels higher in general for iphone iphones than androids um but you know 
but when you compare it with an update Android, a Android phones get updates faster, and there's more um, emphasis, I believe, on security. I really lost a lot of faith in Apple with these three zero days they just patched um, back, I think it was the beginning of this month or towards the end of last month. And then, you know, and, and I'm a Mac user. Um, I use a Mac as my main computer. And I, I don't think that it's necessarily more secure. I, I tell people it's like being behind a small wall in a war. You know what I mean? Like no one thinks to aim everything over there at that little bitty wall that you're hiding behind. And you think you're secure because no one's shooting your way. Well, they're only like 6% of all computers or seven or whatever it is. Um, but basically they're a target. Um, they're a small target, so they don't get as much. But they're a computer. They're still hackable. So you got me started. But bot bottom line is they're good products, but don't just assume that they're automatically secure. You still you still got to be responsible. Love it. If I was allowed to play uh, mm. Rolling Stones music right now, I'd totally play <laughs> Andy. So. All right. So uh, let's move on. And uh, I'm going to jump, bounce off Randy or uh, Andre on this one because you kind of said some things in the green room about this article that I thought were really interesting. And I want to go right into that. Um, so this is actually an, in, an insurance industry article. This is not a tech industry article. And funny enough, um, as I mentioned to you guys in the green room, six months ago, I had uh, what maybe some would consider, he would definitely consider himself a, a authority on cyber insurance. Um, I had suggested that what we're about to talk about was actually happening. And, you know, I saw this going on well over six months ago, um, but I haven't really had any hardcore evidence or anything to point to other than my own experience, which a lot of times I'm under NDA and I can't share the details. Um, but this has been going on for some time. And I think businesses need to be aware about it because I talk to a lot of business owners and a lot of business owners think that because they have cyber insurance or some kind of insurance that no matter what happens, they're going to be okay. Um, and we're seeing some interesting stuff in this article. And there's actually two things that you mentioned, Andre, that I told this person, you know, more than six months ago. And they basically questioned me on whether, where I got that information from, like I read it somewhere and I didn't read it somewhere. I was just sharing my own experiences Basically saying that, you know, I've seen businesses be their, their their ransomware claim or their payment for ransomware be denied. Or I've seen it where they paid it and then the insurance company sues because they say I shouldn't have we shouldn't have paid you because, you know, X, Y and Z. Um, and I was questioned on that. And now here we go. Um, we have a claimsjournal.com, which is an insurance industry publication, basically saying what I said six or seven months ago to this industry expert. So, Andre, what are they talking about here? What's what am I talking about? And let's get into it. Yep. So you have a company called Board Riders. They're based in California. They do surfboards and a lot of apparel for those type of items. And back in 2019, they got a, a ransomware attack. And the hacker wanted $25 million for the de decryption keys. So board riders had a cybersecurity insurance policy. They immediately contacted um, their, the claims department and put in a claim to uh, get the, the money so that and help them with that process. 
So according to the article, it took about eight months for the insurance company, Great American Insurance, to even issue a coverage position. Mm -hmm. So during this time, Board Riders basically is hoping the insurance company pays, and they're just now trying to go from their backups. So they eventually pay out $5.6 million for this claim. But the most interesting part about this, kind of what you were saying, Brian, is now Board Riders is suing to say, look, we shouldn't have paid you that. We want we want to recoup the $5.6 million um, because we shouldn't have paid you that. So um, that's, it's, it's very, very, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy this is, is starting to happen because now people aren't just going to, you know, I get it all the time. Well, I have cybersecurity insurance. Why do I need your your service, your protection. And if more of these type of articles show up to say, look, just because you have cybersecurity insurance, A, you're not protected, and B, you're paying this policy for nothing because when they investigate and see that you're not doing the proper things, they will find the reason to deny you. Yep, yep. Randy. Oh, I mean, you, the, the days are gone when you're looking at cybersecurity insurance as your answer to mm-hmm. ransomware. Right. Um, and you have to think of it like if you had car insurance on your car and then you found out from the the mechanic that your transmission was hanging by half a bolt and then you went out and drove it and drove down the freeway and the transmission fell out, then caused a giant wreck, your, your insurance company would be right to dispute that. And I'm not saying this insurance company is right, but I'm saying... In the case of gross negligence, they're going to be right to dispute paying something that you knew you should have fixed that then caused a problem. And that's what we're getting with with this ransomware stuff is you can't just buy a policy and say, well, that's that's my that's my ransomware. In fact, I filled out an application, um, at least for the cybersecurity questions for a client last week, and they were asking for multi-factor authentication, um, uh, privileged uh, access uh, to be uh, to be monitored, um, processes. I mean, the, the, the things the insurance company were asking for, basically all of them are in our cybersecurity stack, but like that was unheard of even like a year ago to be asked all of these questions, but that's where it's going. And that's what you're gonna have to have in place to say, I don't have gross negligence. I actually did my due due diligence. So now I'm filing this claim. And so then, you know, you have a higher chance of it getting paid. So. Beautiful. I agree with all of that. What both of you gentlemen said, I just think that I, I, as you were both were speaking, what kind of popped into my head was pretty simple is that, and I, and I, think this is going to how is how it's going to play out. And I've been pretty accurate in my predictions in this industry. Um, 2022 and 2023 are going to be a major year where business owners realize that they thought they were good and they got punched in the mouth twice because they thought they had a good IT company managing their stuff and they thought they had cyber insurance to back them up and both of those things. And I think at a mass level, we're going to find a lot of companies get punched in the mouth and realize that those two things that they thought were good in their business are not good. There's a huge blind spot in a lot of businesses in the world. 
where they think they have good cybersecurity protections and they think they're protected from their cyber insurance level. The reality of it is, is they probably don't have a good MSP managing their cybersecurity properly. And the reality of it is, is they probably filled out an insurance application completely wrong. And that will be used against them when it comes to filing a claim. And those two things are going to happen more and more to businesses and business owners are going to wake up when either it happens to them or it happens to their best friend who happens to own a business too. And they heard about it. Right. And then that's going to make them make a change. The, this this change is going to happen organically through people getting punched in the mouth themselves and somebody really close to them getting punched in the mouth where they're like, I don't want that to happen to me. Um, right now, things are just not happening at the level where that's prevalent yet. But that's I, I believe with the increase in cyber attacks and everything I just said, 2022 and 2023 are going to be kind of like, I don't know, not to sound cocky, but the I told you so years for the for guys like us. Right. So, you know, don't want it to be that way. wish people would, you know, start doing the right things now, but I read more and more and more when you read things, companies just aren't doing enough and we're still there. Um, So let's jump into our final topic. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this guys, but uh, I think it's important to point out that our friends at Revel have been taken offline. Um, Let's talk about, how they got t- taken offline and uh, what this could possibly mean and quickly get into um, what other ransomware groups. If you're not familiar with what Conti said, I can talk about it, but I'd like to, you guys to kind of share if you know what Conti said uh, about the rebel being going offline. Um, I'd like to just kind of talk about that too. So um, Andre, what do you know? Where'd rebel go? What happened? Well, um, you know, a lot of times in this show, we, we said, where's the U.S. government? How come the U.S. government isn't doing anything? And, and finally, we see they are. And more importantly, we see that they actually do have the skill set and the know-how to do it. So uh, they essentially took down rebel servers. Um, and this is a coordination between um, FBI, U.S. Cyber Command, Secret Service, and other like-minded countries. Correct. Which is great coming out of the ransomware summit that happened two weeks ago where Washington invited uh, countries to come in. And there were uh, several countries who said they would step up and take the lead on this. Um, but this is this this effort has kind of shooken the cyber criminal community. Um, Randy, do you know anything about the Conti? Shake your head. Yes or no. Uh, uh, not, all right. not specifically. So I'll just dive into question. it. I'll just dive into it. It, it. Conti came out with a statement on the dark web. Um, and I think it maybe made it up to the surface web. Um, I know it definitely did on Twitter. Um, but they basically are crying. They're, they're literally crying saying that this is unfair that the U.S. government is doing this to them. Um, and that they are going to strike back even harder because the U.S. government has decided to use what they consider um, unsavory tactics to take Revel down. Um, and they don't like it. Uh, and, and then Conti, mind you, Conti is the ransomware group that held the um, Ireland's national hospital system for hostage for, I think it was like well over two weeks. Um, so this is the group that's complaining that the U S government is 
stepping over too far of the boundary, whatever boundary that is. Like, you know, these ransomware groups and these cyber criminals kind of make up their own rules and their own boundaries. Um, but that's what's going on. You have now these cyber criminals are pissed off that Revel got taken out the way that they got taken out. Um, do you guys think that this what's the reasoning behind this kind of reaction in your mind? I would personally take it with, uh, take it tongue in cheek, if you will, because in reality, like this is like all other crime that's organized. Right. It's a cat and mouse game. Right. And if you hit them hard, you can even take the head and throw the head in jail and, you know, put them in a, uh, Faraday cage. They can't communicate with the outside world. The rest of the organization is going to figure out a way to bubble to the top and they're going to use other tactics. I mean, it's just a cat and mouse game. And so for them to come out and say, you know, oh, you hit us so hard, it's probably an overstatement. So we might feel bad or give sympathy, but probably in reality, they knew it was coming and, you know, they've already got something else up their sleeve or they're working on it. Well, Revel might have known it was coming, but these other ransomware groups who are like, oh, my God, if they, they could do the same thing to us. Um, you're right. They can do the same thing to you. My perspective is, is I don't think that these insurance or these ransomware groups or these ha or these cyber criminals, I don't think they do a good job with cybersecurity themselves. They're not cyber experts. They're just dudes that know how to write code, that know how to deploy ransomware and get into networks. There's 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 definitely an offense and defense, you know, part of this game, right? And when you're doing the federal government, when they're taking out cyber criminals this way, that's offense. That's going on offense. Deep the the cyber criminals when they deploy ransomware. That, that's them going on offense. They're going on offense. But if our our FBI, CISA, and the rest of the world's you know intelligence agencies are able to take these guys down so easily, I mean, they totally wiped them out. That just goes to show you the level of, of sophistication of their cyber defenses, which isn't very good. Um, and that's kind of like what I want to leave the show with is like, Everybody needs to step up their game on defense. Our governments are the only ones who have the capability to play offense the right way. Everybody else offense, everybody else's offensive efforts at the private level are pop Warner compared to playing for compared to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers being your offense. Right? And probably illegal. Correct. So you know, the U.S. government is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I don't care if you're a Bucs fan or not. They're the best football team right now that I've seen. Wow. Um, you know, my Eagles suck. Um, they're the, they're, they're, they could, there's probably Pop Warner teams that could beat the Eagles right now. Um, but that's like having Pop Warner as your your offense. Like, we no business should be worried about offense right now. Let the federal government take the offense and let them do it right? Businesses need to be playing defense and they need to shore up their defense. And I'm just going to say it, but defense wins championships. If the businesses want to win this war against cyber criminals, just have really good defense in place. You don't need to worry about offense. The government will handle the offense, but we're going to have to work together. 
government and business. Government's role in this is to be the offense. Business's role in this is to be the best defense you can possibly be so we can stop these cyber attacks and make this way less lucrative than it is today. <clears throat> I mean, let's just put it this way. If you don't know how lucrative it is and how easy it is, I guarantee you I could train a 12-year-old in six months how to make millions of dollars exploiting companies. That's how easy it is right now. That's what I'm talking about where, like, the defense is a joke right now. The defense is like the Philadelphia Eagles defense. It's a terrible defense, and that's what we're playing right now. So, I, I like to use the analogy of if you had a car in a huge parking lot, your your average criminal is just going to walk down the row and check to see if the car's locked. And you know, the what what constituted if we if we relate that to cybersecurity, what constituted a car being locked five years ago is different from what it was two years ago. Is different from what it is now. But bottom line, if if you put things in place that are layered, that are hurdles that are a pain in the butt, you're, you're going to stop. You're going to stop the overwhelming majority of this because the, the next person over is easy pickings. So why waste, you know, why I'm not saying it won't happen, but I'm just saying you're, you're, you're making the, the likelihood less mm -hmm. because they can just go to the next business that has nothing and get whatever they want, you know, while still working on you. Like I said, it goes back to that whole zero trust thing of assuming that they're already in and setting up your defenses in such a way. You know, it's funny because we've, we've talked about, I guess it was about two or three months ago, we talked about the government making overtures that they wanted to be able to start hacking back because, you know, we know that if they're in your network, that's when they're most vulnerable. And this is great to see the government starting to hack back at this, you know, and I don't know if laws passed or if things were signed or a little bit of the, uh, all of the above or whatever, but it's great to see them, you know, hacking back. So it's going to be interesting. All right, Andre, bring us home. Well, Randy gave the car analogy. And the, the first thing I can think about is, you know, the analogy of the club. If you guys remember that on, yeah, the, yeah, on the steering wheel, right? So, right? so, so right. those of you guys still listening that uh, that have the club in your steering wheel, there's a lot of ways that that can now be deterred. Right. And Randy, that was a genius analogy in that the evolution of car security is mm -hmm. we're going through the same process, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we're going from, okay, we need to, put locks in cars because cars are getting stolen or, or theft, theft is happening, right? So cars started to be built with locks. And then it didn't take very long for somebody to figure out that I could just stick a hanger down the windy, window and find the lever and pull and, and pop the lock, right? The chances are you're going to be hard pressed to find a vehicle manufactured today where you can pop the lock. All right, because it's all computers, it's all electronic. It works differently than a mechanical lock did in the in carts that were manufactured in the eighties and probably even the nineties, right? But the first car was invented in the turn of the century, so it took us almost a hundred years to perfect the lock on the vehicle, which is a basic component of that thing's security. IT is way more complex. We're in. We're at the turn of the century when it comes to this stuff. So if anybody thinks that this problem is going to be solved in the next two or three years, I got a bridge 
in New York to sell you. So I just wanted to paint that picture. I wanted everybody to have this awareness, have this understanding of where we're at today and where we're going. Anything else you guys want to add? Yeah, I got one more thing. You know, you talked about year 22 and year 2023 of how this is going to be a major uh, shift. But for the business owner, how 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 much more is the threat going to be for you? Because now if you're still not taking this seriously, you get hacked. Your cyber your cyber policy is not paying. And now it's your profits from last year, last quarter that now has to pay this ransom. So, so it's no more, ah, I got my policy is going to take care of it. Now it's coming after your profits. Oh, the days of ransomware being paid by insurance companies are coming to an end. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's already basically being written into the policies. That they're, they will protect you for everything else but the ransomware payment. Right? So, you know, be as it may, you know, I think a lot of things are going to have to happen, but I think like if you're hanging your hat on the fact that, you know, you're not going to be able to trade cryptocurrency to pay ransomware attacks, they're going to figure out another way to get their money and they don't care when you get your data back. So if you got a FedEx and dollar bills, that's what they're going to make you do right. until they get paid. <laughs> it's just a reality. All right, boys. Great show. Thank you for your insight. Um, I think we knocked it out of the park again today with talking about stuff that just nobody's talking about, right? Nobody's talking about this stuff. And, you know, if your IT guy or whoever's in charge of your security isn't saying this stuff to you at this level, um, at least this is a place for you as a business owner to come and, and get the, the real deal on what the world's like out there and why you really need to start looking at this and spending some brain power on investing in this and learning what the hell's going on and how this could potentially, um, you know, reap its ugly head at your front door one day at your business when, when you're least expecting it. So good job guys. See you on the next one. All right. See, All you, right. Tomorrow, Randy. Bye. see you later. Yeah. See you tomorrow. <laughs>